From NPR and WNYC, coming to you from the Bell House in beautiful Brooklyn, New York, it's NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia, Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Uh, we have four brilliant contestants. They are backstage right now, peeping each other's leaves and getting ready to come out here and play our nerdy games. Uh, I make the peeping joke because there's a lovely period right around now where things are dealable. And uh, I mean, not politically, just in uh, the weather. <laughs> and the leaves change color all at the same time and you go up to a bunch of trees and you go, wow, death. Um, <laughs> Right, that's how it works? Yeah, that's it's, how it works. It's, you, the, it's the beauty of... Of death. Of death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the fall. I'm super happy as fall. What I like about fall is right now when everyone's in transition clothing because no one knows how to dress anymore. Uh, my favorite outfit I saw last night, a woman was going out and she was wearing uh, shorts, but then tights underneath, and then high socks and boots. And I just wanted to run up to her and go, you know what you would love? Pants! <laughs> Yeah, it brings it all together, yeah. You don't have to dress a la carte anymore, no. There's one thing, yeah. <laughs> Our special guest tonight, amazing author, activist. Uh, he's known for wearing, actually, a puffy blue vest, so he's really happy it's fall. Deray McKesson is going to be up here, yeah. Very cool. Can't wait to meet him. DeRay also hosts a great podcast called Pod Save the People. Yeah. That is, uh, that is a tall order. He can do it. He can do it. I, if I had a political podcast, I would aim a lot lower, <laughs> personally. I'd call it Pod Save Me Half a Donut or something. <laughs> Just start quiet. Uh, he, he's a key activist in Black Lives Matter, and recently he received an honorary doctorate from the New School. You have to be a big deal if a prestigious liberal arts college gives you a degree for free. <laughs> I mean, I just paid off my cultural anthropology degree, okay? Just paid it off. And if you don't know what cultural anthropology is about, it's the study of whatever. <laughs> you got a real degree, right? Did you get a real degree? <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, yeah. They said it was a real degree, yeah. What, what was it in? Music. I'm a Bachelor of the Arts. Bachelor of the Arts. And I was, a, I was a music major, that's right. Look at me it now. It worked out. <laughs> worked out. All right, you guys, let's play some games. Let's be some guys, let's play some games. Do you know your salmon from your samurai sword? Your tuna from your tacoba? Your flounder from your falchion? I hope you do. Let's meet our contestants. We have Laurel Goldstein. You're a lawyer, but used to be a professional baker, and our producers tell me that you were very passionate about a certain kind of baking pan. Yeah, that's right. I have, um, <laughs> so I have, I have a lot of baking pans, but my favorite is a uh, nine-inch fluted tart pan with a removable bottom. Sure. <laughs> one other person is like, you picked the right one. All right, Laurel, when you ring in, we're going to hear this. Your opponent is Tiro Schneider. You're an actor and recently led a Harry Potter-themed class for kids. I did. Oh, what happened? 
Uh, oh my gosh, so much. We made love potions. Yeah. Uh, we, we played Quidditch, uh, which was just crumpled up paper thrown at kids. Uh, <laughs> and Not a lot of budget for this class. No, no, but imagination galore. Yeah, yeah. And, and how did they respond? Oh my God, they loved it. They I, loved they, it. I have a, a note in my wallet still that says, Tiro's secret, you're a wizard, and I cherish it deeply. <laughs> good man. You're yeah. a good man. Tiro's, when you ring in, we'll hear this. Laurel Tiroche, whoever has the most points after two games will go on to our final round. We're going to start with our favorite guessing game, this, that, or the other. The rules are simple. We'll give you the name of something. You tell us which of three categories it belongs to. Jonathan Colton, mm-hmm. what are today's categories? Today's categories are sea creatures, names of gadgets, and fictional swords from literature. <laughs> what it says on the I piece know, of paper. That's I what it is. Invent it. <laughs> Not like we're running out of categories. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back and forth. No need to ring in. Here we go. Laurel, fang tooth. Sea creature gadget or fictional sword? Fictional sword? I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Tirosh, can you steal? Sea creature? It is a sea creature, yes. <laughs> fang tooth, let's agree. Redundant? Potentially. Yeah. So its teeth are so large uh, in proportion to the rest of its body that the roof of its mouth has special pouches. So when it closes its mouth, the teeth don't go into its own brain. (laughs) T-Roche, glyph. Uh, I'm going to say a gadget. You are correct. It is a gadget. Well done. It's a pair of headphones that you put over your eyes to watch video through two small screens in case you were having too much interaction with humans. (laughs) (laughs) Laurel Vorpal. Fictional sword. You knew this one. From the Jabberwocky. That is correct. (laughs) It is the sword used to slay the Jabberwocky. Yep. He took the Vorpal sword in hand. That's right. I'll, I'll stop. No, you can. <laughs> Tell me about Geyer and Gimbal. How'd you feel? Who'd you like better? I was more of a Gimbal girl. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah? Yeah. Tirosh. Fronima. Fronima is yeah. a uh, sea creature. Uh, you are correct. It is a sea creature. Yeah, well done. <laughs> it's like a shrimp. It's clear. It's very small. It grabs its prey with its claws and rips it apart with its tiny mouth. They're adorable until they grab you by their claws and tear you right. apart. The Pixar movie is not quite as good as Finding Nemo. No, no. About that one. It's darker. All right, these are your last clues. Laurel Atmos. Wow. Oh, I'm going to go with um, Gadget. It is a gadget, yes. So it's a surround sound system, a vape pen, a smart home system, and a drip coffee maker. I know, I thought all of those things at once, but it turns out just all of those things are also called Atmos. Oh. So if you want to buy an Atmos online, be very careful. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This dumb vape pen makes terrible coffee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Tirosh. Rindin. Fictional sword. You got it. It is a fictional sword. It is a Peter sword from the Chronicles of Narnia. All right, that was a great game. You guys are both amazing. Tarosh is in the lead. (laughs) 
If hearing the name frozen embryos makes you stare wistfully out of a window while thinking of Jordan Catalano, then you'll probably love our next game, Fictional Bands. We're going to play you a clip of a band from a television show, movie, or video game. You just have to tell me the title of the work the band came from, and the points are double. T. Roche, stay in the lead, and you are in the final round. Laurel, you need to get more points, or you have to marry a wedding DJ. <laughs> Here we go. Tom Hanks wrote, directed, and stars in this film about The Wonders, a band from Erie, Pennsylvania, that scored a hit with this song. Well, I try and try to forget you, girl, but it's just so hard to do. Every time you do that thing you do. Tarosh. That thing you do? <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> Nice pull, nice yeah, pull. that was good. Glenn Hansard and Marketa Irglova went on tour as the swell season after writing and performing this Oscar-winning track, Falling Slowly. Tiroche. Once. Once is correct, yes. That is such a great song. I've never heard it before. You've never heard it? No. Nope. What'd you think of the clip? It, it, sounded, uh, it sounded okay. It sounded okay. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe you'd prefer twice. <laughs> <laughs> this fictional cartoon band from the 1980s was truly outrageous. And just like Tupac at Coachella, even when you saw them, it was hard to believe. Laurel. Is it Gem and the Holograms? It is Gem and the Holograms. <laughs> I miss Gem and the Holograms. I didn't see any of it. I don't know any I, of it. I saw it. It's supposedly people are I like, remember the star earrings. And actually, not too long ago, I looked it up on Wikipedia to get the whole backstory. <laughs> you just I you just couldn't remember what the backstory was? Of, yeah, of like cuz I remember there was someone who like had these earrings and she would like twist the earrings and become a rock star and how did this happen and it's quite involved. She puts on a wig and she, she uh, yep. and becomes a rock yeah, star. Yeah, yes. And her boyfriend can't tell. Rio. That's the guy's name. These <laughs> I also looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. The characters Charlie and Liam Pace performed the highly inclusive rock song, You All, Everybody, before breaking up their group, Drive Shaft. You all, everybody. You all, everybody. T. Roche. Lost. Lost, that is right. All right, this is your last clue. They may have started as a fictional group on Saturday Night Live, but these onstage siblings produced a double platinum album and got away with wearing sunglasses all the time. I'm a soul man. I'm a soul man. T. Rush. The Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers is correct. Well done. 
After two games, T. Roche is going to the final round. Coming up, we'll find out who will face off against T. Roche in our final round. And we have activist Duray McKesson, who brings out the vest in everybody. That's right. Stay tuned, because the vest is yet to come. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. The categories of left and right divide our world. Exit left. All the left-handed people. Left-wing extremism. A right-wing group. Far-right. Exit right. These categories also apply to our brains. How the left and right hemispheres shape our view of the world. This week on Hidden Brain. This is Ask Me Another, NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thanks, Jonathan. It's time to welcome our special guest. He's an activist who hosts the Crooked Media podcast, Pod Save the People. His new book is called On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope. Give it up for Duray McKesson. Hey, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> hey, it's good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much yeah. for coming. I know you, you grew up in Baltimore. Even in high school, you found a commitment to community service. You actually served as a chairperson on a committee where students were allowed to decide what projects were funded. Yeah, so I was in student government my whole life. Okay, wait a second, wait a second. This was fun for you in high school? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, stop it, that was mean. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, she's like, how uncool were you? No, no, I actually think that's super cool. I just didn't even know uh, it was there. Yeah, so like I was on this board when I was young, um, and it was 20 young people and 10 adults, and we gave away like $500,000 a year to youth-led community projects. So young people in their neighborhoods would be like, hey, like we want to do this project for like $2,000. It's one of the only youth grant-making organizations in the country, and I did it when I was like 14, 15, and 16. Okay. Okay, so what were some of the proposals? Oh, you know, it's funny looking back, I'm like, ah, what were we doing? But they were like, you know, they wanted to like start a neighborhood library in this right. like, I don't know, buy toys to play with kids in the neighborhood. Like all these things that like young people were thinking. We were like, you should do that. You know, or like they wanted to do tutoring or like start an after school program that young people ran, like those sort of things. So uh, in the summer of 2014, you are working in Minneapolis. You are part of the, the education yeah, system, the system there. Yeah. You decide that you're going to go to Ferguson, Missouri, which is just outside of St. Louis, to get a firsthand account of the protests. It is a reaction to the killing of Michael Brown. Uh, you worked with Black Lives Matter, and this moment of activism is really how many people know you. Yep. Now, while you were there, you documented the enforcement of something called the, the five-second five rule. rule. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah, so if you saw us marching on TV in 2014, um, it wasn't that we thought marching was cool. It was actually illegal to stand still in August, September, and October of 2014. That if we stood still for more than five seconds, we were arrested. So it's why we marched all day. And the police thought that they were going to enforce this rule, and then we were going to be so exhausted that we were going to go home. And instead, we were like, if we got to walk, you got to walk. So we just like marched all night long, all day. It was like a, it was a whole thing. Uh, and we sued 
that it was declared unconstitutional. And my tweet, I tweeted about it because one morning I was like standing on a corner on West Florissant and these four officers come up to me and they're like, hey, you can't stand there. I was like, I just stood here yesterday. And they were like, you can't stand still. You can't pace this area and you can't like go and come back. And I was like, okay, that's wild. So I tweeted it. And that tweet was actually the first recorded instance of the five second rule in St. Louis. So like when I'm on the stand, literally the tweet comes up on the thing and the judge is like, what is a tweet? And I'm like, I don't know. You know they're like, wow. ah. And then he's like, what is Twitter? I'm like, I mean, this, you know, it's like in the middle of the protest. So. It was one of those things that I always think about because I, I never want to forget how fragile freedom is. That like it was illegal to stand still in twenty four. That's like a wild thing, right? Um, you know, you you were wearing this iconic blue puffer vest. It's a good that, vest. That it's a great vest. I'm sure you're very happy that it's um, fall. I don't know if you, if you wore it through the heat. It's always air-conditioned inside. That's true. Um, now, this has become an iconic look for you, but for those of the listeners that might be just discovering this for the first time, what does this vest mean to you that you are really into making sure you wear it? I think about it like my tattoo, right? Is that like, I never want to forget that what we went through was real. And like, I've been wearing this, this particular vest since the protest began when it was cold. So like, I've been tear gassing this. I was dragged out of police department by my ankles in this, you know, like I was shot at with rubber bullets in this. And it just like keeps me grounded in the fact that like all of those things were real. But I love that you're committed and you just didn't buy tan. And no, recycled no, them. It is weird now. People give me them as gifts now, which is awkward. Oh, right. So they'll be like, thank you for coming, vest. And you're like, I don't have like an affinity for vests. You know, it's like a, like a, vests are fine. You know, I like this vest. So I do have like, I don't, I don't even call them backup vests. I do have like a closet of vests now because people think it's adorable. Right, so they're like, some... here's a vest. And you're like. Well, the vest has its own Twitter account. It does that I did not create. Yeah, you the vest does have own Twitter account. You do not manage that not, account. I did not, I did not create it. I did not manage it. It is funny, though, because sometimes the vest is like a little a little too snappy on Twitter. So I have to DM the person and be like, chill out, please. Like, stop biting. Because people think it's me, you know? And I'm like, I didn't do They're like, you were so rude. I'm like, I didn't say that to you. Like, that was the vest. You interact with your vest? Sometimes, you know? And, it, you know, this is completely random that I don't think I've talked about before. But I was the chief of human capital in the school system in Baltimore. So I managed, like, everything to do with adults in the school system. Two, 200 schools. 80,000 kids, 11,000 staff members. The vest used to tweet during the workday. So I would get these like notes from the superintendent's office being like, Dre, please get off Twitter. And I'm like, I'm not on Twitter. It wasn't me. It's the best. I don't run the best account. So I'm having to like DM the guy. I'm like, please don't tweet during the workday. Cause like you are, I'm getting complaints from people. It was like a whole thing. So I want to talk about your book on the other side of freedom, The Case for Hope. In it, you talk about being bullied as a kid. A lot of us can relate to that. And you also talk about your experiences. Your experience protesting actually gave you the ability to mentally confront your, the bully from your past. Can you just tell me how that works? Yeah, so that essay was born. I, so the essay is called The Bully in the Pulpit. And I was uh, sort of fascinated. Somebody asked me what I meet with Trump. And I said to them, like... I don't know if it's my job to tell the bully to stop bullying me, right? Like, I don't know what that looks like to go up to the bully and be like, hey, I'm a full human. It's like they know and they're doing it anyway. So that's where that essay sort of came from. When I think about the idea of the case for hope, it was born in this notion that like when we say the system is broken and people say, oh, no, it's working exactly like it was designed. The takeaway from that is that it was designed, right? People made this up. Right. And because people made it up, we can make something different. Like if they can rewrite the tax code on the back of paper towels and napkins and scrap paper, then like we can actually do all of this in a generation 
generation two, right? Don't tell me that this has to be two lifetimes. Right. For people that feel very disillusioned right now and maybe don't have a lot of hope, Mm -hmm. how do you inspire those people? Yeah, I'm reminded that like we see the inspiration all around us. I'm one of many people who's in the street. Like when I think about all the people out there, like their inspiration for me, I'm interested in building the biggest choir possible. And anybody who's ever been in a church choir or near choir, you know that being in the choir is a whole lot of work, right? Like it's not a passive experience. And I know that there's so many people out there who are just waiting for an invitation to join the choir. They have a voice. They just don't believe that they can sing yet. And like what the best organizers do is say like, you have a voice, like come sing with me. Let's learn new music. Like teach me new music with the best teachers do is the best teachers walk into classrooms and say, you already had the gift, right? What I'm here to do is make you realize that you can access the gift long after I'm gone. What the worst teachers do is make people believe that the gift only exists in their presence. Mm. You know, you, you said that the vest means something because the vest has been all through all this stuff, but that's obviously you have been through this stuff. Yes. Uh, but you have said that the hardest thing you have ever done is teach. Teaching was hard. Still harder? I taught sixth grade math, and 11-year-olds are no joke. And, you know, (laughs) it's funny because parents are like, oh, yeah, 11-year-olds. But it's like, you didn't teach your kid and all their friends. You know, that's like much harder than, like, your one kid. You know, it's like... So like the burping contest, you're like, oh my God, I could kill you guys. Um, so I taught sixth grade math, which is great. Seventh grade is puberty and deodorant and it is bad. Mm. Like that's like a whole different thing. Like the moment where kids like start having to wear deodorant and they don't know it. And you're like, hey, that smells like a little special. And they're like, what do you mean? And you're like, Ew, you know. Yeah, my uh, sister was like, Axe body spray is horrible, but it's oh, way better. Yes. But they like have no, they don't know moderation, right? So it's like everything is Axe. You're like, why is your hair smell like Axe? You're like, why is your... Like, why your clothes smell like Axe? You're like, put Axe on before you even come near the building, right? Like, don't right. even put it in the building because it's so much. Yeah, the Kids are great, though. Yeah, but it was, it was hard. <laughs> uh, DeRay, are you ready for an Ask Me Another Challenge? Let me, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah of I'm course you are. <laughs> so, DeRay, in your book, you write about your childhood love of also the X-Men. I love the so X-Men. What was, so what was the appeal for you with Storm. the X-Men? Storm. Storm. Best character, by far, has not been cast well in any of these movies, which is really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Storm was such a pivotal part of the team. And in these movies, it's just like, you're like, what happened to Storm? I get Wolverine's appeal. Yeah. But like, Storm is really where the juice was. Yeah. Tell me more about that. What, what, like, in the, what way? She would like often arrive first, if you remember, like definitely the cartoons. And she would do like something simple, like, I mean, I guess like conjuring the clouds isn't simple, but she would like, she would, <laughs> she would do something simple for her. And then she would just like fall back and let the other X-Men come and like lead, right? It was such a great example of what it meant to be a leader, creating space for other people. And like, I just will never forget like seeing that every week and like seeing the restraint that she showed with such incredible power, like still sticks with me. You have an amazing way of analyzing this stuff in a way that I've never thought of. I love it. Hopefully you learn too. You you like, you like, you're like, yes, Storm. It's good. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to sail through this. Uh, We wrote a game just for you, inspired by your iconic blue vest and your love of the X-Men. So I'm going to describe an X-Men character's iconic look. Uh Uh-oh. And you just tell me who I'm talking about. And if you do well enough, listener Joseph Koch from Brooklyn, New York is going to win and ask me another Rubik's Cube. I'm with you, Joseph. Here we go. Here's your first one. A ruby quartz visor worn over both Cyclops. eyes. Yes. There's Cyclops. <laughs> I mean, that was... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> visor sort of gave it away. Yeah, visor. And, and he wore it because 
he shot powerful energy out of his eyes and was the only way. Are you reading that? Do you, do you not it. know that? Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I didn't. I didn't read the comic books growing up. You didn't up. watch the. You I, know, I you, did watch the movies. Yeah, but you didn't know Cyclops shot things out of his eyes in the movies. Listen, I've got a lot of other things I need to load. <laughs> okay. Okay. White hair and flowing cape. Storm. Yes. You can, yes. The best. All right, hair tufted on both sides into wings, mutton chops, gloves with holes where his adamantium claws come out of. <laughs> Wolverine, that yeah, was good. Yeah, Wolverine. The adamantium, so did, I was like, what? <laughs> mutton chops. Uh, Hugh Jackman has appeared in nine of the films as Wolverine. He's like He's the constant. Great. Yeah, Wolverine, Canadian. I'm Canadian. I have a little bit Are you of, really? Yeah, yeah. Like legitimately Canadian. Absolutely <laughs> legitimately <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Gloves to prevent direct skin-to-skin contact with other people. Yes, exactly. She absorbs other people's life force. I know. It made love really hard for Rogue. It did. Yeah. Blue fur and glasses. A beast. Beast, that's right. I almost said gambit. That was like a brain fart. I was like, ah! Beast. This is your last clue. A bald head. With a custom wheelchair or... Professor X! Yes, Woo! Professor X. Charles Xavier. I was nervous you were going to do somebody like Jubilee, and it'd be like, what would be the, defi- like the description of Jubilee? But you didn't. I appreciate no, that. No, we, we went classic. I we went classic. It. Thank you. Uh, turns out you basically got them all right. Congratulations. Joseph! you and Joseph Koch won Ask Me to the Rubik's Cubes. Duray's new book, On the Other Side of Freedom... The Case for Hope is available now. Give it up for DeRay McKesson. Thank you. Want our next special guest to play for you? Follow Ask Me Another on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This next game had a big budget, but none of it was used on good storytelling. It's called Cinema Sequels. Let's meet our contestants. Our first contestant is Susan Gross. You're a product specialist for Cadillac. Yes. What does that mean? Um, Basically, I know everything about the whole lineup of Cadillac, each car, like all the stuff, the wheelbase, the horsepower. How do you get into that job? Um, It's actually through a talent agency. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they hire a lot of actors, models, hosts to go to auto shows, basically, Mm -hmm. and talk about the cars with people. They want people that are very... um, Charismatic and and dynamic. people and, you know, can talk a lot, basically. (laughs) Yeah, so now you know everything about the Cadillac. Yes. Okay, very good. Well, when you ring in, we're going to hear this. Your opponent is Meredith Pelusi. You're a nurse practitioner in cardiac surgery. That is an important, high-stress job. Uh, you told us that the best part of it is the hours? The hours are actually pretty awesome. I mean, we do see... <laughs> really? I mean, when I'm there, it's 14-hour days. It's incredibly intense. We do transplants. We do aortic surgeries, all this crazy stuff. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I work three days a week. I have four days off. I get to cluster the days so I get to go on vacations. It's, it's pretty great. Who knew? <laughs> When you ring in, we're going to hear this. Remember, Susan and Meredith, whoever has more points after two games will go on to our final round. Let's go to your first game. This is a word game called Cinema Sequels. We've added one letter to the title of movies to make more interesting sequels to those movies. For example, if we said, 
Luke Skywalker uses the Force and a dab of Compound W to eradicate this bumpy skin virus he contracted in the swamps of Dagobah, you would answer, Star Warts. Mm. Adding one letter, in this case a T, to Star Wars. It's going to be good. (laughs) Okay, here we go. While genetically restoring dinosaurs, scientists curiously came upon a down-filled jacket dating back to the Ice Age. (laughs) Meredith. Jurassic Parka. Yes! Well done. Boots Riley directs this satire starring Tessa Thompson about a podiatrist who apologizes for your foot digit pain. No? Okay, I've that's fine. I've never heard of this. The movie is sorry to bother you, and with the added hint about the podiatrist who apologizes for your foot digit pain would become sorry to bother you. Oh, man. In this Bo Burnham film, a 13-year-old girl drinks way too many 16-ounce coffees. Susan. Eighth grade is the film. Okay. Eighth grande? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yes. Based on the sad book by John Green, Shailene Woodley searches for a way to repair the shoddily constructed banisters in her house. Susan. The Fault in Our Stairs? Yes. We made that movie sadder. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe that. Brie Larson sweeps up more Oscar nominations in this sequel, in which she responds to her kidnapping by training herself to play Quidditch. (laughs) This is a 2015 movie. It's a one-word name. Room? Susan, yes. And we're looking for uh, a Quidditch-related answer. I know it's Harry Potter. It yeah. Harry Potter, yes. We're circling in for a landing. I'm actually just reading the book for the first Have time. You, so you've never played Quidditch yourself? I, um, I haven't. I mean, I've watched games. You've but. watched games? Okay. Do you know the, the implement that is necessary oh. for a Quidditch game? Broom. That is right. Quidditch is a very sad game to play alone. I've done it. <laughs> That's just sweeping, isn't it? It's just, it's just cleaning your house. It's just cleaning your house. It's not very fun at all. Magically, magically cleaning your house. This classic musical comedy explores the history of the first talking pictures, and it all takes place on the Amtrak Acela. Susan. Singing in the rain? Singing in the train. Yes! <laughs> yes. At the end, they get kicked out of the quiet car. All right. That was a super hard game. You guys did great. You did wonderful. So, great game. Susan, you are in the lead. Can you picture yourself on the big screen? No? Then you should be a contestant on our show. It's radio. Go to amatickets.org. Coming up, Jonathan Colton and I will go all hardy boys on our mystery guest. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. (laughs) 
Join us on Wednesday, February 20th for a live taping of Ask Me Another at the Bell House. We'll be joined by comedian Jim Gaffigan and get ready to rock on with a music parody game where we rewrite schoolhouse rock songs to be about actual rocks and minerals. Tickets and more information at amatickets.org. Planet Money tip number 17. A great analogy doesn't have to make sense. Busier than a one-legged bobcat covering up his own crap on a frozen pond. Did you just make that up? <laughs> well, yeah. I just... Planet Money, a poetic podcast about the economy. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. Before the break, we met our contestants, Susan and Meredith. Our next game is about girl bosses, or as I like to call them, bosses. <laughs> Susan, there is a photo of you and your husband that hangs in Match.com's headquarters in London. This is, is true. Is it to remind them that it was a success or a failure? <laughs> a success. A, <laughs> yes. And you guys made the yeah. wall? We made the wall. Inspiration. Give us a story. We met uh, nine years ago. So, um, yeah, he tonight. was in England okay. and I was in New York City. So, basically... We talked for about three months online and Mm -hmm. Skyped and things like that. And then we met up in in London for the first time. And it was just like we had known each other our whole lives and we were madly in love. And he took me to Paris and we got engaged like right after we met. And then um, after the three months of knowing each other, we weren't too crazy. And then No, that's crazy. Don't pretend that. (laughs) So then... I wrote Match.com and I was like, what do we do now? Like, you made this possible, right? Yeah. Um, Pay for our wedding. Exactly. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Meredith, our next game is about bosses. When's the last time you did something like a boss? I honestly feel like a boss every day I go to work. I, you know, just the other day, this is like a daily occurrence for us and all my amazing coworkers. We did some high quality CPR on a gentleman. We saved his life. uh, And it's pretty awesome to get on someone's chest and and, uh, bring him back to life. It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, this is a music parody game called Hashtag Girl Bosses. Susan, stay in the lead and you go to the final round. Meredith, you need to get more points, or you have to pay to see Bruce Springsteen on Broadway. The cheapest ticket is $797, so you better ask your boss for a raise. We rewrote songs by the boss, Bruce Springsteen, to be about notable women in the business world. So just ring in and tell me who I'm singing about. And if you get that right, you can earn a bonus point by telling me the original song title. Here we go. Lifestyle magazine about making things look pretty. In 2004, she was briefly in prison. Her nickname in jail was M. Diddy. Meredith. Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart is who was looking for, yes, right? For a bonus point, can you name the original song? <laughs> Bruce Springsteen is not my jam, unfortunately. I don't know the name of the song. Uh, that was Glory Days. <laughs> Here's your next one. Born down in a Grecian town Ran a blog, it was well renowned Lot of clickbait, but what the hell Then she sold it all to AOL Meredith? 
Ariana Huffington. Yeah, that's right. Huffington Post. For a bonus point, can you name the song? I can't. That's all right. You don't have to feel bad about it. It was born, born in the USA. Who knew AOL had enough money to buy the Huffington Post? I mean, seriously. <laughs> I think they're a large corporation, I feel like. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. they're, they're just saving a lot of money now that they don't have to press send CDs and send out all the time. CDs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With all that saved money. Huffington Post. Uh, here we go. She left HP and she thought she could be a real presidential candidate. But then Fox put her in the second tier of the Republican debate. Susan. Hillary Clinton. No, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Meredith, do you know the answer? Um, are we talking about Sarah Palin? No, I'm sorry, it's not Sarah Palin. We're looking for Carly Fiorina. Oh. HP just churns yeah. out. They chew them up and they spit them out. I know. It's like you are built for politics. You've spent the earlier part of your career screwing people over toner prices or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was uh, Born to Run, of course. Here we go. Here's your next one. Palo Alto was a cookie shop. Then the franchises multiplied like they never stopped. You could end up with a belly ache if you eat her giant cookie that's the size of a cake. <laughs> Susan? Mrs. Fields? Yes, that's right. <laughs> Mrs. Fields, Debbie Fields. We'll accept Mrs. Fields. Uh, for a bonus point, can you name the song, Susan? I know it, but I can't remember the tune now, what you just played. Yeah, no, it's, I know. I'm a very forgettable <laughs> musician. That's why I have this job. Uh, that was called Hungry Heart. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. She started out as a model on a Sports Illustrated page. Licensed her brand to Kmart. Her home goods are all the rage. Kathy, Susan. Kathy Ireland? Yeah. Quick on the buzzer. Well done. For a bonus point, can you... And again, no, I... No, no. I, and I love Bruce Springsteen. My mother's going to be very disappointed. She's a big fan. Well, you can just tell her you weren't on the show. And that was called The River. A fashion icon Editor at Vogue Haircut like Joan of Arc Devil wears Prada is her. Susan. Anna Wintour? Yeah, that's right. You got it. <laughs> I hate to point this out once again, but this is about girl bosses. If the devil wears Prada was about a man, it would be called that successful, good-looking guy wears Prada. <laughs> <laughs> the businessman wears Prada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Susan, I have to ask. No, it's not coming to me. It's called uh, Tougher Than the Rest. All right, this is your last clue. She said, lean in, lean in, lean in, lean in. Please don't say bossy, it's bad for girls. She gives TED Talks, she wrote some books. She's helping Facebook destroy the world. Meredith. Sheryl Sandberg. Sheryl Sandberg is correct. Can you? No. Jonathan, I'm so sorry. No, it's not. I, 
Doesn't bother me in the least. Uh, that's called for you. Uh, Ophira Eisenberg, how did our contestants do in this game? They did fantastic. <laughs> they don't know Bruce Springsteen. No, well, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we both are okay with that. I don't know how Bruce is going to feel. Bruce, come on out here and let us... <laughs> All right, well, after two games, congratulations. Susan, you are moving on to the final round. While Tarosh and Susan get ready for the final round, it's time for us to play a game. This is Mystery Guest. A stranger is about to come on stage. Jonathan and I have no idea who this person is or what makes them special. Mystery Guest... Please introduce yourself. My name is Bernadette Libinati, and my job involves a lot of questions. Okay, so does this game. Well done. So does my job. <laughs> That's right. Okay, a lot of questions. Are people asking you questions? No. No. Are you asking other people questions? Yes. Aha! Okay. Well done. You're on the road. Thanks. So you are asking people questions. Uh, are you gathering data? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you involved with polling? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you asking questions face-to-face? No. Aha! Are you asking questions in real time? You're actually talking to people as opposed to writing to them or something like that? No. You are writing questions to people and receiving written responses? Correct. Okay, is this taking place over um, the internet? Yes. Okay, very good. I just had to rule out letter writing. (laughs) (laughs) Semaphore, smoke signals, you know, a lot of things. That's right. right. (laughs) Uh, Okay, are you gathering data for uh, internet-related companies to use? No. Hmm. Are you uh, gathering data for the government to use? No. Are you part of the um, singularity? (laughs) No Are you asking questions for robots to use To take over our planet No Okay Okay. All right. Are you asking them questions to help them have better relationships with each other Yes Okay All right. Uh, Are you working for a particular dating website Yes Okay Start naming them a fury you're on all Okay Uh, (laughs) Do you work for Coffee Meets Bagel No (laughs) Do you work for Bumble? No. Okay, Cupid. Yes. What? <laughs> All right. My producer Travis has handed this to me. So, Bernadette Libanati works for a dating the dating site Okay Cupid, where her unofficial title is question czar. <laughs> okay. I think it's technically Zarina. Zarina. Zaritsky. <laughs> um, but yeah, I also don't like the ending of how it goes for most czars, so I like to share responsibility. Sure. Yeah. I'm changing yeah, that. No, yeah, so. Czar is not a happy no, ending. No. No. Not to be. So you lead a small team that creates the questions users answer that then use, they use to match each other with prospective love interests. That's exactly right. Okay, so, and asking their opinions on everything from politics to cilantro. That's right. Okay, so how did you get into this job? Well, turns out there's no grad school degree for writing questions for a dating app yet. Uh, my background <laughs> is in branding and marketing, and I just really tap into social trends and working with kind of monitoring what OkCupid users are actually talking about. We noticed like Harry Potter gets mentioned a ton on certain profiles, so we decided to craft stories about what Hogwarts house are you? How many people say Slytherin? <laughs> I think a lot of people, like, 
really aren't honest with themselves when it comes to that question because there's <laughs> a surprising amount of Gryffindor answers, and it's like, all right, we all can't. Yeah. You're either. a Hufflepuff. So, yeah, yeah. We all we all can't. So yeah. we all can't. We all can't. Be. We want to. Just be honest. Uh, so what is what is the most important thing right now to people who are dating? Well, one of the things that we've noticed, uh, a large trend since 2015 and 2017, is we've had an, a 1,500% increase in people talking about political keywords in sure. their dating profile. So dating and politics really aren't quite as separated as they once were. But we also have questions that you are, we allow people to tell us what's important to them. So if something is very important to you, you can mark it. And the uh, most important marked uh, question right now on OkCupid is, do you believe in dinosaurs? So I can't really, <laughs> so it's everything wow. from... That is a good weeder-outer. To, yeah, to, to dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think men and women are looking for different things? I think so. Um, we do see certain trends that will fluctuate with, with women uh, and men and will answer a certain way. We asked if, do you think you're a great trivia partner? And 25% of men answered, you bet, exclamation point. 15% of women answered, you bet. I don't know if that means men just think they're better at trivia or are yeah, better that's at what trivia. It means. <laughs> so. <laughs> Have you ever, yourself ever used a uh, dating site? I did, yeah. I used OkCupid. And? Yeah. How's, well, okay, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't meet my partner technically on OkCupid. However, I met him and we created our connection at an OkCupid event. So I'm going to take that for the team. Like, I think it still happened through OkCupid. Super interesting. Uh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Give it up for our mystery Thanks. guest, Bernadette Livinati. Thank you. It's time to crown our big winner. Let's bring back our finalist, Quidditch coach, Tiro Schneider, and Susan Gross, who isn't afraid of moving fast in cars or in love. <laughs> Susan, Tiroche, your final round is called Myth Connections. Every answer includes a character from Greek or Roman mythology. Our big winner will receive an Ask Me of the Rubik's Cube signed by Duray McKesson. We rolled a 20-sided die backstage, and Tarosh is going first. Here we go. Tarosh, this music streaming service launched in 2004. That could be Pandora. That is correct. <laughs> Susan, this band is famous for Come Sail Away and Mr. Roboto. Sticks. That is correct. Tarosh, this book by Ayn Rand contains a 60-page speech by the character John Galt. Atlas Shrugged. That is correct. Susan, Carl Weathers played this reigning heavyweight champ in the movie Rocky. I can think of Muhammad Ali, and I know it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Muhammad Ali is not correct. The, uh, the answer is Apollo Creed. All right. Tarosh, Michael B. Jordan played this character in the movie Creed. He is Apollo Creed's son, whose name is Hercules Creed. <laughs> Good answer, but incorrect. We were looking for Adonis Creed. Susan, this athletic apparel company has been represented by athletes, including Serena Williams and Colin Kaepernick. Nike. That is correct. Trosh, this band of tissue connects the calf to the foot. Achilles tendon? Yes. Susan, in the musical Hamilton, he, quote, heard your mother said, come again. Mm. 
Sorry, no, I'm blank. Hercules Mulligan is what we were looking for. Okay, we're at the halfway point. The score is three to two. Tarosh, you're in the lead. Tarosh, this veined Italian blue cheese originated in Milan is sometimes crumbled on top of salad or pizza. Gorgonzola. That is correct. Susan, this brand of cleaning products has the catchphrase, stronger than dirt. Um, Three seconds. Gosh. We were looking for Ajax. Tarosh, he's Ariel's father in Disney's The Little Mermaid. Uh, uh, Poseidon. Or Neptune. (laughs) 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 Or neither. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. We were looking for King Triton. Susan, this mermaid drama series airs on the cable channel Freeform. Persephone? It's a good guess. Uh, (laughs) Incorrect. The answer is Siren. Oh. Okay, the score is four to two. Tarosh, if you get this question right, you win. This 19th century instrument is also known as the steam organ. The... uh, Archimedes uh, piano. (laughs) (laughs) Another creative answer. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. The answer is calliope. Susan, you need to get this right to stay in the game. This style of upbeat Afro-Caribbean music is often associated with Harry Belafonte. Calypso? That is correct. One last question for each of you, Trosh. If you get this right, you win. This 1972 disaster movie is about a capsized cruise ship. The Poseidon Adventure. Yes, that is correct. Tiroshi won the game. And that's our show. Ask Me Another's house musician is Jonathan Colton. Hey, my name anagrams to Thou Jolt Cannon. Our puzzles were written by Andrew Kane, Ruth Morrison, Scott Ross, and senior writer Eric Feinstein, with additional material by Shantira Jackson and Emily Winter. Our senior supervising producer is Rachel Neal. Ask Me Another is produced by Sylvie Douglas, Mike Cassif, Travis Larchuk, Kiara Powell, and Ramel Wood, along with Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. We are recorded by Damon Whittemore, Rick Kwan, Noriko Okabe, and David Hurtkin. We'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn, New York, The Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. And our production partner, WNYC, and our live event sponsor, American Mensa. I'm Haripe Begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Happy to hear you're still listening, and since you're still here, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review? We love to hear from you, and it helps others find out about our show. For additional information about new episodes, upcoming live shows, road shows, and bonus games, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks! Next time on Ask Me Another, from the state and wet, hot American summer, we have comedian Michael Ian Black, plus couples therapist and podcast host Esther Perel. And we'll play a music parody game where we change songs originally about the heart to be about other bodily organs. So join me, Ophira Eisenberg, on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia.